Minds of Magic, the show where I get into the minds of some of the world's best magic players and personalities. I'm your host, James Sue. In this series, my guests and I talk about Magic the Gathering, but the game is just the starting point. It is 100% focused on the guests themselves. This is a place where I can highlight their passions, interests, and stories. You'll hear less talk about magic-specific strategy and more talk about what my guests have learned over the years. I hope that you will enjoy these free-flowing conversations. I'm always looking for feedback on the show. If you have any questions, comments, or even guess whom you would like to see me interview in a subsequent show, just drop me a line on Twitter. My Twitter handle is James underscore HSU. That's James underscore HSU. I am more than happy to talk to you about any questions you may have about the show. This week on Humans of Magic, I talked to one of the great Danish players, Michael Bondit. Chances are, if you've watched any magic commentary over the past couple of years, including this year, you'll probably have seen Michael uh, on camera, either giving a deck tech or talking to uh, talking about his record or something else. The man's just got this kind of charismatic, larger-than-life personality, and so I had actually wanted to talk to him for quite some time. Originally, through a friend, I found out. Um, how to connect with Michael and his friend uh, Thomas Enevoldson. I ended up talking to Thomas first because of scheduling issues, but Michael is somebody who I always wanted to get back to and, and talk to. And this week, I finally did it. I finally found a time that worked, and uh, we had a pretty interesting conversation. I was told by my friend that Michael has quite the interesting background. He uh, grew up in Denmark, but more than that, he served in the military for quite a number of years, and the disciplined life of the military actually relates to his magic playing career somehow, and in the interview, we managed to put two and two together, which is really interesting. Another reason why it was great to talk to Michael is just, he's got a, well, he's got a great personality, he's very self-aware, self-reflective, and when we were talking about his background and some of his goals going forward as a goal level pro, he volunteered a bunch of good answers, and I think they're answers which will actually help any aspiring Magic player who wants to be more competitive or get on the pro, pro Tour circuit. I must admit that there was a bit of pushing on my part. I think you'll, you, you can tell when you listen to the interview that I was pushing him into areas that might be a, might have been a little bit uncomfortable for him, but in the end I think that made for a better conversation when I sort of went into more of the life stuff. So yeah, I think it was a pretty good one, and uh, Michael and I both enjoyed the recording the podcast a great deal. We talked about it a little bit after, and uh, yeah, I, I think it went well, and uh I present to you now, Michael Bonde, one of the Danish greats. Let's go. Hey guys, today on Humans of Magic, I am here with a 
guest from Denmark. Um, we have a guest who is the Bizarre Moxon Vintage Champion. He was the first European player to win an SCG Open event, uh, signaling the European invasion of America. He's had two top fours in Grand Prix events. Uh, I would love to introduce you guys today to Michael Bonda. Michael, how's it going? It's great. <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you on the show. And uh, it's a little bit intimidating talking to somebody who is um, not only an accomplished Magic player, but also uh, whose reputation precedes him just from some of the, <laughs> the common friends that we've had, you know? Yeah, <laughs> but um, like I know that you did all these interviews with uh, a lot of really good players and super fine people, so it's also kind of intimidating the other way around. So I think it goes both it goes both way, both ways. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. I'm sure that I am more nervous than you are. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, how many pro tours have you actually played in? I think I played five, so it's actually not that many. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's five. It may be six, but I think it's five. Okay, well, that's uh, five five more than the average player, so... <laughs> it, maybe, yeah. It's been, like, been kind of hard to actually qualify for the, for the Pro Tours. So when I qualified, I was just super happy. Um, but now I'm qualified for the next four, so that's kind of a big leap in the right direction, uh, considering how many I played... How did you qualify for the next four? You have a certain status. Did you get silver or one of those things? Or yeah, I actually I completely bummed out in uh, Vancouver. No, in Atlanta. Sorry, in the modern. I'm 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 not a good modern player. So I had a good deck from Frank Karsten, but I didn't really do that well. Um, but then I hit silver in Paris, and uh, and I had a really good run at GP oh, Pro Tour Madrid. Uh, I came in seventeenth. Um, which which lead me in the right direction for gold, and then I went to Brazil uh, to team up with uh, with um, who's uh, Tomaharo Saito, mm -hmm. uh, and then we came in fifth, and I was luck for gold. So my pro level status for the upcoming season is, or for this season, is gold, which qualifies for all the pro tours. All right, so you're on the pro tour money train. Yeah, some yeah the gravy train or whatever people call it. It's it's, it's actually kind of unreal. Like it's this huge leap from not qualifying for a single pro tour to hit silver and hit gold, and then everything's just unfolding. Yeah, it sounds like things are moving uh, positively for you. So, Michael, I mean, what's been going on with you recently? Is it just this uh, kind of like the pro tour quest, or like what's been going on with you just with uh, magic and with life? Like I've been playing Magic since 2008, like with on a regular basis. I kind of started in 2004, but it it took on in 2008, and then I just think that the time invested in Magic, like online and in real life, and all my friends play Magic, eventually just became like a quest for qualifying for the Pro Tour, just to try and and beat my own records and and beat the best players in the world. So. It's kind of more of my entire uh, mentality kind of changed towards just trying to become the best Magic player and the best player in the world, probably, <clears throat> through just learning new aspects of the game, learning new people, trying to see how other people perceive the game and just trying to adapt and see if I can be as good as the best players in the room. 
So your goal is to be one of the best. And so it sounds like you would be focused very much so on this quest at the moment, right? Yeah, but it, it, it's kind of... Um... It, it could be anything. Uh, it, it literally could be any game. I think the the mental part that you have to focus so much on on every single game and so much on deck building and the strategy in general, and it's just like an infinite information. Um, you have infinite information in, in Magic. You can always read something. You can always try and and do something else. And I think it, that's super stimulating just to to break your brain down and just try to focus 100% on magic. And, and that's kind of how I, yeah, when I don't go to school or, or job, I, I just really relax when trying to use my brain in, in the direction of magic. Right. So uh, I'm going to go back in time just slightly. Well, I shouldn't say slightly, maybe back to the beginning. Um, what I always like to do is just sort of learn a bit more about your background, maybe things that people aren't usually interviewing you or on the deck tech or things for, but uh, I would love to know just sort of starting from the very beginning, tell me a little bit about where you grew up and your childhood, basically. Yeah, so um, I grew up in in a really small town with like 2,000 inhabitants uh, outside of a, 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 big town, a big town of Denmark, Silkeborg, uh, which is compared to other countries, are, is really small. Uh, but the town was called Funner. Uh, and I grew up with my two siblings and my mom and dad. Um, Your mom and dad, what did they, what did they do? Uh, my mom was a... What did she do? Like, she started studying because she hurt her arm, but she, she helped elderly people um, at, like, these... I don't even know what the English word is for, for it, but she like went to this uh, house where elder people uh, got taken care of, like an elderly home. Uh, and my dad was uh, or is a driving teacher. So um, yeah, <laughs> just a common uh, Danish family, um, and in a really really small town uh, with two thousand inhabitants. Then I went to like a regular school. Just ha was hanging out with my friends, played some sports, and or yeah, not not really anything uh, that interesting um, from from the early on. It was just uh, a bread and butter core family uh, in a little small small town somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Did you have any particular memories or anything like that as you were as you were younger, maybe doing sports or just things happening in the house? Yeah, it, it kind of, like, there's always this sibling rivalry. Um, I have one brother who's, we're almost the same age, and we're, like, the same height and and density. <laughs> um, and, we, yeah, we, we all always had, like, this uh, rivalry, um, no matter what we did. And he's super competitive as well. Um, so we always played, like, these random games, Stratido, uh, and all sorts of Danish Monopoly and... Just trying to to beat each other all the time, and um, eventually he started uh, doing some uh, martial arts, uh, and I started playing a Danish game called handball. Or it's not even it's not Danish, but it's very common in Denmark, and it's not that common in the U.S. or anywhere else in particular. Although it's an Olympic sport, right? I had handball. Uh, yeah, yeah. It it was on the final day of the Olympics, I I think. Yeah. Um, and I started playing that, and just like 
tried to play badminton, tried to play football just to see what I was good at and what I liked. And eventually handball was the was the thing I picked up. And and then I my competitive spirit, I played computers when I was super young as well. Um, but my competitive spirit just led me to just like attending all these extra seminars of handball and just trying to be the best in handball as well. Uh, yeah. And then later on, I, I started um, practicing shooting uh, with rifle. Mm. Um, and my dad is a hunter. Uh, so it kind of, he was really happy that he could like do something with us, me and my younger brother. Uh, so every once in a week, we went out to the shooting range and just uh, like had this family time practicing shooting with the rifle. Oh, okay. Did you also hunt as well? Uh, no, you you need to be at the age of 16 and then have like this, uh, uh, yeah, you need to have the paper from the state to, to actually be able to hunt. Oh, I see. So you didn't like accompany your dad to the, the hunting trip or anything like that? No, no, no. no. Um, it was more like we just went to the shooting range and we participated in all these tournaments uh, and the Danish nationals and shooting and just like just being like in the olympics with uh with rifle range shooting it was just the competitive spirit of it for me and my brother and uh but my dad was just like he wanted to hang around with us and and he was yeah he, he was used to to shooting the rifle when he went hunting and then this was just he adapted really well to the competitive part of the of the whole hunting so uh, you must you must still be a pretty accurate shooter, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I, I went to the military and um, uh, and we had like you have all this rifle training and and gun training in general and uh, and I, uh, I went to the sergeant's academy as well, uh, sergeant school, and I actually came in first uh, of all the one hundred and twenty uh, what's it called attendees of the sergeant school. Um, during the course of uh, of eight months, uh, I was the number one shooter in every single discipline. Uh, so I can still, yeah, I, I'm still pretty good at it, I guess. So was that just a lot of practice, or you have some natural talent for it? I, I think it's kind of hard to. I think I have somewhat. I'm. I'm I probably have some talent, but I also like. Uh, we just practiced a lot as well. Hmm. Um, I I was. When shooting the rifle, it's it's more like when you look through the optical. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are one hundred percent natural in the way you're like holding a rifle and looking through the optical, um, it's easier for you to to shoot straight. So in that uh, in that way, there is some skills. Uh, and if you're good at holding still and and just like aiming, then that's also a skill. But else, it's just practicing and just knowing what you do. Mm -hmm. Just like magic and just like uh, any other sports. It's just like practice, practice, practice. Uh, the grind. Uh, if you grind, you get better. Yeah. I, although I am curious now that you're you're on this topic. Like, does that mean that you have an exceptional level of hand-eye coordination? Like, have you ever verified that in addition to shooting a rifle or a gun, maybe you're really good at um, tracking like, uh, I don't know, like... Uh, like a really high-speed baseball or something like that, or, or something that, that shows that you have some above-average uh, dexterity or coordination or something like that? 
Well, I played a lot. Of, I really tried many sports when I was younger, just to try to figure out what I was bad at, best at. But I'm as bad as I am at football, as good I am at handball. So I think there is some sort of eye-hand coordination. Like if someone throws a ball at me, I, I can almost always catch it, and I'm pretty good at like determining how fast it's arriving, like the pace of it. And also the same goes for for shooting. As long as it's it's with my hands and uh, my eyes, it's I'm pretty good at it. But with my feet, it's just I've never re- really practiced it. So when I get to the football uh, court, like I'm really bad at football. So to your point, right? It's about the grind and putting in the practice. Yeah, yeah. That's like it. It basically goes for when I was at the shooting range and when I played handball and later on in my life when I started playing magic. I'm just really good at grinding and gathering empirics for, yeah, for specific situations uh, that I want to be better at. Right. Okay. So yeah. you do a little bit of uh, handball, different sports. Uh, you were very competitive with one of your brothers. Um, yeah. I'm just wondering, at what point did you make that transition into gaming, computer sports, into magic? Like, when when exactly did that happen for you? Because you said 2004. So I'm assuming that you got into magic quite late was that the case uh yeah like everyone pretty much played or collected magic cards when i went to like primary first um but we we didn't really know how the game unfolded we just traded because the pictures were beautiful um so when, when i went to the gymnasium which is like uh high school or uh like two years after high school in denmark we, we have from zero grade to ninth grade uh, so when you're 14, you attend to the gymnasium, which is like the high end of, of uh, high school, I guess. Um, some people were playing magic in the common room. Uh, and I was just like, wow, I used to own these cards. Like, it looks fun. Can I join? And they said, yeah, we have like this sweet soldier stick from Legions. And uh, you play like this and you can just like hang around and see if you can like decipher how the rules are. And then eventually we started playing every, every single, like, uh, the lunch break, every, every single time there was a lunch break, I went down there and they were playing and then they got me going to this club, uh, uh, and just started drafting and playing and, uh, and just having fun with magic. So, I mean, it was kind of your classmates or friends that got you into it, but do you remember what were some of your initial impressions of the game? I think that my initial impressions of the game was that it was just a wonderland of uh, mental challenging uh, challenges. Uh, so when I looked at them playing, they played in a specific way, uh, and I could probably like decipher what was wrong and what wasn't wrong. Um, and I could try and tell them how I would play their hand out. Um, so my first impression was that there is different like ways of interacting with your opponent. There are different ways to, to play the cards in your hand. So the game must be super complex. Mm-hmm. And when something is super complex, it's just, it's just more fun to, to dig into it because you know that you're, you will get a lot of uh, <laughs> of uh, good challenges for the time spent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I was playing a lot of chess at this point, uh, and I thought that was super challenging, but uh, people kind of 
like there are not many chess players uh, around and if you play against the same people and you keep winning then eventually they don't want to play against you anymore sure um so this was just like a whole new level of uh, competition because people really wanted to play because there were luck involved as well yeah uh, so it's a, it's a lot of skills and then there is some luck which eventually like will give the the player that it's a, a bit worse than you, he it will give him a, a shot of, at winning uh, due to variance. Right, that makes the game more popular, right? More people want to get in. Yeah, yeah, I think so. That's the same. The same goes for League of Legends and Dota. You play in a team, so you don't know if it's one hundred percent your fault or if it's your team compilation. Uh, and then it's easier to just like play another game and see, uh, yeah, if it's if it goes well or goes bad. Right. So Magic for you was in high school, right? The way you described it. Yeah, or yeah. the the Danish uh, equivalent of high school. Yeah, it's called the gymnasium. Uh, um, but it's when you're 14 or 15, you attend to a three-year educational program, uh, which eventually leads out to college. I see. And then what happened to you uh, after the gymnasium? I mean, did you did you go off to college and uh, keep playing magic, or? I, I kind of was like uh, this restless soul, um, so I actually like um, I canceled my gymnasium after the first year and tried something else. Yeah, uh, and then I tried something else for half a year, and I actually also canceled that. And then I started uh, I started the first of February in the military uh, in two thousand and. Four, I think, or two thousand five. What? Why did you? What made you want to join the the military? I think I thought that I needed some discipline, and I thought that it would be like a cool place to to try yourself out, like just in in a whole new setup that was just away from uh, everyone's day to day life, uh, and just yeah, I don't know, I. I I, I thought it. I think it gave me, and I thought that it would give me some uh, really good human um, like abilities and some reflection on what is right and what is wrong, and just like discipline in general. I hope I didn't come across in my question as very um, challenging. I simply wanted to uh, to understand uh, because you yeah. said that you're <laughs> you said that you're you you feel like you needed more more discipline. I'm just wondering if that meant that you felt at the time as a kid that there were parts of your life or parts of society or parts of your interactions with society that felt undisciplined or or you felt you needed something different? No, I just think I, I was kind of, um, I, I kind of like did what I wanted to and was a bit lazy because I just wanted to game all the time. I just wanted to play World of Warcraft and Warcraft 3, Frozen Throne on, on my computer and I wanted to play magic cards in my, in my spare time. So school was kind of not a priority. Uh, and it was like when you're younger, it's pretty hard to like wake up in the morning and I was super lazy and yeah, it was just a, like a down going spiral, I guess. So I thought like, how can I change this? And eventually I found out like a really good uh, challenge, both mentally and physically would be to go attend to the military and just like try yourself out and see if you're, yeah, if you're good at it, like just a new challenge, uh, in another shell, I guess. That's pretty impressive because um, you, you made it sound like you needed more discipline, but it takes a lot of discipline to realize that you need more discipline, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but I kind of, I think I figured out that I was not really good in 
like attending to school at that point in my life. Uh, there was a lot of things I wanted uh, that wasn't going to school and sitting in a classroom, even though I really, really love to get new information and learn a lot of things. But it was just not the time for it, I, I think. It was just so hard to get up in the morning, so hard to go uh, drive to the school. And uh, I just, it was just physically like tearing me apart. So I thought there must, I must do something else or else this is, uh, this is really not going well at this point. So yeah, maybe there's a lot of discipline or just like, not discipline, but like reflection, I think, um, that I, I needed to try something else. Okay, so you decide to do that. You go into the the military, and what what happens then? I mean, what what was that like going in there? It was like going to school, but just having a gun hanging on your side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, like the military is there is gun training in the military, but it's just such a little part of uh, of the whole institute, uh, the Danish military. Yeah. Um, it's more like um, they don't even try to brainwash you. They, they just try to make you a better human being, I think. Because it's like it's mandatory to go to the military in Denmark, um, but they don't have that much space. So every 18-year-old um, attends to something called a session where they do a lot of tests. And then eventually they pull a number out of a, not a hat, but something equivalent to a hat. And then if you, if you, take the, if you get the number from 1 to 5,000, you have to go to the military, and then every other number until thirty-six thousand is you. You get off if you don't want to. Um, so I, I went to, through this whole. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say. So it's. I'm just trying to understand. So it's kind of a a lottery, but most of the people don't have to go, right? Yeah, that's like 36,000 thousand numbers, and uh, the latter five thousand have to attend to uh, to one of the military institutions. So it's ba it's basically a lottery. Yeah, you, you can you can put it that way. Um, but it's because it's in our constitution that every uh, eighteen year old have to attend to the military, and then they they kind of like went a bit around it with the lottery thing. So you wanted to go in, you went in. Uh, it wasn't brainwashing. It was just. Uh just training, right? So what, what kinds of things did you end up learning from that? Did you feel like that you got an experience that you expected before you went in? Uh, I actually think it was a bit harder than I expected because there's a lot of... Um, the problem about it is that there's a lot of things that doesn't make sense because it's in a, the grand scheme of it is that discipline is the thing that you're being educated in. So like every day you have to, you have to put up your... Um, all your gear on the bed and it has to be clean and you have to count it uh, so uh, and the sergeant comes into the room and he's he's looking at your room if it's clean if you put in if you put all your clothes in your dresser uh, in the correct way during yeah there's all these stupid things but eventually I don't think they're stupid but it was stupid like when it was ongoing yeah at the time right yeah 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 because every it just seems so stupid that you had to put in all your clothes in the in the correct way in your dresser. Uh, <laughs> it had to be like perfect, and you had to show all your gear every single day just yeah. to, yeah, as a control from from like the leaders. But eventually, like you got in the routine, and and you just became better and better, and yeah, and then I basically just thrived in the whole. Uh, I'm not. 
uh, in that good shape, but it, it wasn't the hardest part of the of the military. Uh, you eventually became came in good shape. So yeah, I, I think like halfway through, uh, I was just one hundred percent thriving in uh, uh, in the educational system of the military. I, I I thought that my friends were nice. I thought that every single day was a joyful. Uh, like I woke up in the morning, went out to eat, uh, went to my bunk and just cleaned it up. And then we had these, these adventures every single day. Oh, what kind of adventures? Uh, so I, would, I would, ex would have expected that in a highly disciplinary environment that things would be very similar from day to day. Was that not the case or were you referring to something else? Like every single day you wake up, you do the same thing. Like there's this routine that you have to like clean up all your things and uh, and show all your gear. And then eventually you like you gear up and then you go out to the woods. Uh, and then you have to learn all these basics because the, the mandatory like military is four months. So every single day is just you getting new education of uh, radio techniques, of how to use a gun, how to... Um, camouflage yourself in the nature and all these sorts of basic uh, hunting slash military skills so every single day was pretty much a new day um, just out in the in the woods and just like being part of nature and I actually kind of I like that because it was something that I didn't do much as a child so it was kind of fun to go out sleep in the woods and just do all these random things with the people that I liked Right, it was some kind of uh, organized camping or something like that. <laughs> yeah, with a gun on your side. With a, with <laughs> a gun on your side, hopefully not to your head, but to your side. Yeah. That's just so super stupid, the whole uh, gun on your side thing, because it is basically just like uh, this camping experience. You learn how to be in nature, you learn all these random skills, and you just become a better person, I think, but uh, without the violence, because you don't get, they don't preach violence, uh, quite the contrary. So it's basically just like an institution for discipline where you accidentally have a gun by your side. Right. So how long in total were you in the military for? I was there five and a half years. Five and a half years. Okay. Um, is that is that pretty pretty normal, or does, did you extend it, or? Uh, no. I I got into the sergeant's academy. Um, I got handpicked to to attend to the sergeant's academy, and then. I got educated as a sergeant. I came back, and then I had two um, two teams of the man. Like over the course of eight months, I um, I had two teams of uh, mandatory soldiers. Um, and then I was stationed out to Kosovo for half a year. I came back, and then I went to the military academy uh, or the officers' academy. Uh, and tried my luck at the officers academy and then eventually I found out that I had to do something else in the military to like to evolve as a person I, I guess okay this is interesting um, because I'm gonna guess at your age when you enter the military it sounds like you got into a leadership role at quite an early age right yeah that is, that, yeah that's true yeah, um, what was that like, just learning to lead and and uh, having other people follow your orders? Uh, in the beginning, I was 19 when I had my first like team. Uh, so you had to lead 10 people and uh, occasionally 30 uh, pe people who all were older than you. 
uh, and that was kind of in the beginning. That was kind of um, how do you say it? Um, I was nervous. Like the first day I uh, I went and met with all these people, I was kind of nervous. Uh, but eventually, you, you like grow with the role because if you're if you're really good at what you do and you just and you know a lot of things, then you eventually can be creative and you can just like tell them what to do and you can tell them why they have to do it. Uh, and a lot of people will accept that if if you have a reasoning behind uh, your leadership. Right. I mean, the reason why they picked you for for the role and subsequent roles must have been because you were doing something right. So what do you think you did that was effective or that was made you good at what you do, what you did? When I get a challenge, I really just want to like uh, be the best at what I do. Uh, so every time I get uh, a challenge, I just try to get more and more information about how to be the best uh, in the role that I'm put in. Uh, and it's also just through grind, like um, trying out all these sorts of different things, um, um, just exercising to become better, like reading a lot of books about the specific topic of, uh, of teaching and leading, um, and eventually just like be, uh, being myself. I think the, the thing about leadership, if you're not yourself and you're, if you're not like um, comfortable of being yourself in the leader role, it's kind of hard to to like lead. Uh, but if you just put it up as a game that you have to make these people do their best uh, and having fun in, uh, at the same time, then it's kind of a game that you just, you have to to like break down and see how you're doing it the, the, in the best way. Right, right. D did you feel that you got the respect of uh, those that you were you were leading? Um, definitely. Uh, and afterwards, when I talk to them, um, like we have, uh, the people I'm still in contact with, I have a really, really good, uh, how do you say it? We, we socialize <laughs> after, even though it's uh, 10 years since I, uh, I was their sergeant. So, uh, and also a lot of them, a lot of the people we went to, I went to Kosovo with, uh, like I have a lot of respect for them and I can feel every time we talk that they, they have a lot of respect for me. So it's kind of a hard thing like to know if someone has respect for you, but I I get the feeling I I think when I when I talk to those people and when I was uh, jobbing as a sergeant, I, I definitely felt that they had respect for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, I mean you can kind of feel the bond, right? Or at least I'm feeling it in the way you described it. Yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to like explain because. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's yeah, it it is a bit hard to explain, but. Uh, I um, I think there is a bond and when you're a leader if someone is not like following what you're saying or if you don't have like the, the good dialogue with them uh, you you kind of feel it instantly if if they don't have respect for you because it's it will uh, be really hard to work together sure I mean they'll they'll have hesitation in in uh, yeah exactly in doing something yeah um, so this is really interesting. So tell me what, is, what it was like to actually um, go to Kosovo, um, that whole experience. You said it was about half a year? Yeah, it was. Uh, I went there for five and a half months uh, in 2008. Like the experiences from like I went to the military and started working. And prior to this, I was just like this lazy, lazy teenager who just wanted to game. So that's kind of a clinch in like personalities. 
but in Kosovo, I was this uh, intelligence sergeant, which was it was very interesting. Um, but the the most interesting thing was um, that every single day we worked from seven till seven. So that was like this huge, wow, going from almost not working and just working. Yeah, I don't even know 100 hours a week. It was uh, it was kind of um, a change from your day to day life. But the the people down when you're like stationed out, people are like super professional, and um, there's always these random uh, incidents and like just all these sorts of uh, work duties that you have to to do. So eventually, you just get in the routine and and work, uh, and then you get this. You get some really good friends, and you get some people that you trust. You trust one hundred percent, and you can talk to them about everything. And um, yeah, so it's it's just this really s- special feeling. Uh, I think like you're away from everything, you're away from your family, you miss a lot of people, and then you get these new people uh, that you have one hundred percent respect for, and they have respect for you. And yeah, you just have to it's get like the best a, of it. It's like having a new family. Yeah, exactly. Um, I had a family, like, there's a lot of people uh, that I talk to in Kosovo that I still, like, really have a lot of respect for and try to follow what they're doing, even though I don't see them that much. Um, I just, I think they're fantastic people, or fantastic, yeah, fantastic people. Yeah, uh, that that sounds like an ex- amazing experience, and for someone like myself yeah. who's not been in that situation i mean the closest analogy i can think of is maybe a sports team but it sounds much more than that so yeah i think a sports team is a very good um it's a very good uh comparency um i i think when i i when i think about the feelings that i got when i was stationed out and when i played a lot of sports um it is basically the same like you're you're part of this unit that just wants to to perform well just wants to have a good time and just like would do anything for for each other and i i think that's uh that's a very good comparison okay so when you were stationed there was there anything particularly memorable in terms of an experience or something that you observed uh, maybe with the people who are local there or uh within your unit like just just anything that really stood out in terms of memory whether good or bad I think uh, what stood out was that even though people have a really hard time uh, in their like local area, if, if there has been war, people are still really nice people. Um, like there's there's not really anything bad in a random person that you meet unless they have been preached that they have to be bad. So every time you you met up with locals, every time you met new people from different countries. Everyone was just super friendly and, and outgoing and just wanted to know more about you and uh, where, you, where you're from and just like they wanted to help. Uh, and I think this goes for, yeah, like almost everything, also the magic community. Like if you just are, if you're open, if you start talking to people and you're just friendly, then eventually people will just want to talk to you and they want to help you and you want to help them. and. It will just it will ascend into something bigger than just two people trying to compete. It's it it it's just like people are just nice to each other if you put them in a spot where they can be nice to each other. I, I think that's 
what I got from Kosovo in like mostly. And that was something that you did not really feel before or were not exposed to before that that time. Is that right? Yeah, like the media and, and everything, like when you read about like war and when you read about people in general, uh, they're not really that outgoing and people try to tell you that other people are, they don't want to your best intentions or like, I don't know even know how I should explain it, but it's just, it just came to my mind that when we went out in Kosovo and talked to a lot of the locals, they were just like super unhappy with the whole situation, but they were not bad people. They were just like, they they wanted to just like talk and they wanted to be friends with us and they wanted to help from us. And like, they're just like my neighbor, like they they were not bad people. <laughs> um, some people like f can force other people into becoming bad, but in general, I just think like everyone is pure and everyone has good intentions. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really uh, that's a really powerful observation. Um, if I may jump ahead a, a little bit, um, what was it that made you decide that you had to get out of the military? Because you said that after five plus so years, um, you wanted to move on. Like, what was the what was the motivation or driver behind that? I think <clears throat> I wanted to work with people, and it didn't even I, I didn't even need to be the leader i just wanted to work with people in a different shell than the military because i think it has even though it, it had been good for me i think it still has its restrictions uh so i wanted to either uh, be a social worker or uh, or become a teacher so basically that was why i i ended my career it was so that i could uh, attend to studies in like sociology or like teaching I see. So that was around, was it 2008, 2009 that you, you left? It was actually in 2000, like I started in 2005 and I stopped in 2011, I think. I see. Something like that at least. Yeah. So uh, in the life of Michael Bonda, what, what happened in 2011 after you, you left? Um, I left, I, I, I quit my job, I left the school, I... I like moved away from the capital Copenhagen uh, and moved back to like uh, the vicinity. I actually moved back to my hometown with my best friend at that uh, time. Um, and we moved in to this nice apartment in the middle of my hometown and just like I came back, started going to school and just like being uh, non-military Michael or just like hanging around with friends uh, from yeah, my younger years and just uh, having a good time, like not having all this stress, uh, having worked since I was 18. Uh, so it was just nice to like lean back and focus more of, uh, more on like hanging around with my friends and attending to school, like getting smarter. And then I picked up magic arts uh, at that point. Did it feel strange though? I mean, to have been in the military and that way of life, um... I mean, it's not even a job, it's a way of life, right? For so long, uh, since you were 18, and then you, you, you move back to your hometown, and the, I, I'm just wondering if it feels strange, or, if you, or did, did, was the adjustment quite natural for you to get back into that? I think it was hard in the beginning, because you're, uh, when you work in an institute like the military, it could be, it could, could be basically anything else that's self-driven in the same way. Uh, it could be a large firm. It's kind of hard to, like, uh, pick up your roots and just try to to go somewhere else because everything works in a different way and you kind of like 
you got used to how it worked in in the former way. So you basically have to like reinvent the whole way of thinking, like the whole way to attend class, uh, to talk to everyone. And it, it was kind of hard. Like it was a transition period, at least, um, where I had to. And it's still ongoing, even though it's, it's kind of a long time uh, since I went there. Uh, when I go to school, like, yeah, it, it's... There's a lot of things like the the, the whole discipline thing. Um, it's not something that everyone is accustomed to. So when when I go to school now, I really want to just like get the most out of my hours spent at the, in the class. Uh, and that's kind of a clinch with someone who's just there to like hang out. And then uh, I have to like I want to be friends with all my classmates. So we have to like find a, a common ground where. Yeah, I know that you're here just to like hang out, and I'm here to to study. But we can still be friends because we have like this. Yeah, we we're still interested in in the same things. So there's like this clinch of like the the discipline in contrary of the non-discipline. Right, but in a classroom setting, you're not like no not everybody has that same common ground, right? Like you're not forced, not yeah. Yeah, but it's it's basically in everything. It's like learning and just like perceiving the world, uh, like trying to understand the world. Like, you can't really make anyone, everyone, uh, have the same thought pattern that you're that you're having. So, but in the military, everyone is like always wanting to do the best, and they're there. And if they're not doing their best, they're probably gonna get fired. So, it, it's just a clinch with what I was used to, and I'm still I'm not, I'm not struggling with it, but. It's a part that I have to be. Um, I have to have some focus on it, so I don't like bully people. I I, I don't think uh, it's a lack of a better word of the bully part. But um, you have to be when aware, I go to school, aware of it. Yeah. Yeah, aware. Yeah, yeah. Because you can easily bully people if you just like. You should do better because we are here to to get better at at. Yeah, whatever didactics or just teaching in general. So, uh, yeah, I, I just need to be better at uh, like saying, okay, work and and socializing. It's uh, socializing is it's the same when you attend to school. So you can't you can't force people into wanting to go to school if they really don't want to. It came out a little bit of yeah. It came out a little bit of like the whole bullying part. It's it's basically just a flag of better words. Um, I just have like a different mindset than my than the peers in my classroom, uh, and sometimes you get in a clinch when you have to work together. Uh, and I think I specifically, because I have been in another culture before, I have to be very aware of this uh, this mindset because uh, it it can like put up some difficulties in the in the collaboration in the classroom. I think. Yeah, and are you still uh, studying today, or have you already finished that? No, I I went to <laughs> I studied something and then I found out I actually wanted to teach. Um, it's divided into two different uh, schools. If if you want to be like the social worker or if you want to be the teacher, uh, and eventually I just found out like my calling is to teach. I just I simply just love it and it gives me a lot of energy when I when I work with teaching. So uh, I'm studying on my third year, so my fifth semester uh, on the uh, yeah, teachers academy. I see. So your your yeah. goal now is to be a a teacher. Yeah, uh, I'm really trying to uh, to balance the whole uh, 
attending school to become the best teacher that I can that I can be, but also just like trying to play as much competitive magic and being a good uh, being a good boyfriend and and a good family member. Yeah, uh, that, that sounds pretty good. It's pretty uh, pretty <laughs> ambitious, but uh, I, I, given your background, I'm sure you could do it. So I I, I seriously hope so, but it, it's it's kind of challenging. Like there are only 24 hours in. Uh, uh, a day so eventually you run out of time uh, and it's really hard to to balance these two or these three uh, different aspects of, of your life oh i wouldn't worry about it i mean sleep is overrated right <laughs> <laughs> yeah as you get older you, you sleep less so that's that's good i guess yeah uh so going back a little <laughs> bit into the the magic part i mean you got i mean as you resume civilian life as it were you yeah. you started playing magic again i mean what uh what was that like i mean what what did you you started going to tournaments or like can you describe that a little bit uh yeah i was like um i knew how to play magic uh when i started in the military but i wasn't really that good at it like i thought i was good like everyone else that that does probably in their local area um but eventually as time moved on I figured out that every time I went to these um, regional, like in Denmark, like these these bigger tournaments, uh, people were just way better than I was. Uh, so that was kind of like a hard thing to cope with. I thought I was good, but eventually I was just like the best of the of the bad ones. <laughs> uh, yeah. So uh, I started to focus more and more of of the whole how can I become better. Uh, at magic because there is something uh, there is unexplored talent here uh, I think um, so I I teamed up with some of the good players of Denmark um, and I just like leached on their information like I wanted them to tell me everything they knew uh, which 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 was like these huge grinding sessions uh, where we just sat down and just like grinded for three days straight and eventually I, I became better uh, and started to attending GPs and and did uh, I started doing better and better. Can you uh, can you just talk a little bit about that grinding process? Like you you obviously played and practiced with a lot of the top players. Like did you guys just literally play games nonstop? Is that what you did? Yeah, actually we just like took our laptops, went to one of our friends called Lasse, uh, put our laptops up, and then during the the release weeks on Moto uh, on the old version. Uh, there was just like these queues that we were firing, firing every time 16 people attended them. So we just played three sealed queues at a time. So you started the deck building, then when you submitted your deck, you started a new queue, you started the deck building, then the match would go on, you'll play the match, start another sealed queue, build the deck, and then you'll just like grind three queues at a time. Just to get like Empirics and just uh, get the grind on. Sure. I've got to ask though, Michael, uh... You, you were exposed to a lot of different things, um, yeah. you know, in terms of competition. Why magic specifically? Uh, I think if you ha if you have somewhat talent for something, that's my own opinion. This, uh, it, I don't think people do things if they're not good at it. Uh, some people can do, like they can play whatever football because they just like football. Uh, but I don't think they will invest one hundred hours in football if they're really really bad at it. Uh, and are not getting better. So eventually, like when people pick something up that they have like a raw talent for, not saying that they're good, but they're better than people who 
would else have picked it up. Uh, you will get like a curiosity. Can I become better at this? Um, and that was what I thought. Like I knew I was good at it without any <clears throat> practice. So how could I become better? And it was this whole curiosity just to try and become a better magic player than I, I was. And then I played against these people who were better than me, which was super frustrating, but also like an enlightenment. So how can I become better? I could try and ask those people if they would teach me what they knew. So eventually I sat down <clears throat> with these good players. They taught me like a lot of different aspects of the game and then I became better. But then when you play against people who are better than you, again, you get this frustrating but enlightenment and how can I become better? So it's always like you evolve every time you play against uh, a better player than you. I, I just think that just this, that you can evolve all the time and you, I, I tried to like uh, talk about it earlier as well. It's just using your brain uh, 100% when you play magic, like in all sorts of different parts of magic. It, I just think that's so, uh, I really love it. I, I love the, the game, the mechanics, but I also just love to be able to focus 100% of how to, how can I become better in the multiverse and uh, as a better player, as a better deck builder, there's just all these sorts of different um, aspects of the game that you can you can put a lot of mental focus on. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to say that um, there's generally two types of players, right? When it comes to a game, there's a type of player that they see a challenge and they're like, no, this is not really for me, or they, they walk away or they move on to something else. Not to say anything, not to put them down, but that's what happens to one group. There's the other group that's, that keeps getting knocked down, but they want to pick themselves back up and they want to get better. They want to study, okay, why did I lose to this guy and how do I, how do I beat him next time? It, it sounds like you're in the second category. I, I simply just love to play Magic. Like I, In the first place, I just love playing Magic. If it's casual, if it's... Uh... If it's competitive, I, I just think a game of magic, if you play against a friend or a, a person who's just as good as you, is super challenging and it's, I just love it. Uh, but eventually you'll get, as you say, uh, knocked down. And then instead of just like, okay, that was due to variance or whatever, I, I just want to like see if I could have done anything and if I could become better. Uh, yeah, because it's my, as I said, when I don't go to school, if I don't work, if I'm not with my girlfriend, I just try to, or with my friends, I just try to, like, do something that I really enjoy. And thinking and playing magic is just something that I really enjoy and get a lot of energy out of. Um, so, n not trying to become better is just not something that I see is a possibility, for me at least. Because uh, I really just want to to become better and uh and see if I can flourish on the competitive scene. Right. It sounds like whether it's uh, academics or school or or magic, like if you're in that moment, you wanna you wanna learn, you wanna do the best you can, right? Yeah. I think like learning is a life, is an ongoing life process. Like, if you stop wanting to learn, I, I think you you will miss out of uh, on a lot of things. Like, if someone like. If there's a good documentary, I want to see it. If there's a good book, I want to read it. If someone has an interesting point about didactics or whatever, like the universe, I, I just want to like see if I can understand it. Um, just to see if, if I can become more smart, uh, know more things, uh, get new interests or whatever. Like I, I just think knowledge is just 
super fun to obtain. No, that's that's great. And uh, while you're while you started to grind, I mean, is this around the time that you met your friend uh, Thomas Enevoldson? Uh, yeah, in the beginning, he was really good friends with a lot of people from my local area, uh, from the town I live in now called Aarhus. Uh, but I didn't really know him that well. Uh, but I knew that he was very good, and uh, and also Martin Dang, which was his really good friend, or is his really good friend. He was he's also from my local town, so they were really good friends, and they were grinding a lot. Yeah. Um, and then a, a guy called Lasse, which won uh, GP Madrid in 2008, is a really good like limited player as well. Right. Um, so eventually, when I started like hanging around with them, uh, we had the same interests, like going out, having a good time, and everything in in the setup of magic like we could apply magic for basically everything uh eventually thomas and i got like we got to talk to each other and and we had the same goals and we wanted the same things and we were yeah we we had a good chemi- uh, how do you call it chemistry yeah uh, <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I'm just I'm just reminded of uh, I don't know if you listened to that recording with with Thomas that I that that we did, um, but his first impression of you in the tournament was quite interesting. I know that he said something, but I can't 100% remember it. I, I, he basically said uh, he, the first time he played you, he thought that you had no idea what you were doing. That you yeah. were some kind of like scrub. <laughs> that, yeah. Like here's this guy Michael that I just met. And he's looking at and playing the game completely differently from uh, maybe conventional wisdom or maybe Thomas's version of conventional wisdom. Yeah. But somehow he he uh, he still did really well that tournament. So he must have been like really lucky or something. <laughs> yeah, this was like my first PDQ, so my first like leap into competitive magic of in Denmark. Uh, I played like this stupid Naya control deck, which was so awkward with Goblin Assault makes one ones and then a lot of mass removal. And a lot of planeswalkers, so it was just so weird, uh, like the deck. And I actually I went to the top eight of that tournament, beating Thomas in the in right. the in the Swiss. Uh, but this was before I I knew anyone. So, um, and he was part of the of the good Danish Magic players, like the second generation. That's Sven Gearson, and then he was like the second generation Martin Dang, uh, him, and a lot of other really really good players. Uh, and I knew that he was good from like tournament reports and everything, but I didn't know him as a person. So I was kind of intimidated playing against him. Uh, but I just loved playing Magic at that point as well, and I just had my own deck, and I wanted to see if it if it would do well in the tournament. But clearly you had something, right? I mean, you top-aided, and you, you managed to defeat him in your match. Yeah, but then he won in the... We, we played against each other in the, in the quarters, and then he won against me, so... The justice was made in in that tournament, <laughs> <laughs> but, but but eventually I I got looped into the whole uh, like secret society of of the good magic players, and uh, when I moved to Copenhagen, it it just took off. I, I got a lot of new friends from um, from the Copenhagen magic community, and eventually uh, I kind of knew everyone. And Thomas and I just started traveling a lot, and just became really good friends. Okay, so was there was that kind of the I hate to use this label, but was that kind of the turning point or the 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 thing that made you even more serious about magic than before was being part of this group and then traveling with them? I actually think that I have been the most dedicated one of the bunch because I knew that I had I had both something to prove and I had something to learn. 
so I have just been grinding since uh, 2010, uh, literally just grinding, like attending almost every tournament that I could, um, putting my capitals on hold and see if I could, how I could grind more money just to be able to, to get to go to all these tournaments. Uh, and eventually people like if you start traveling a lot you start a trend that people join they think it's fun and they want to join again so eventually we were like this huge group uh, of people who eventually became our team team rocket um, we had a lot of like really good players um, that all wanted the same thing just go out have a good time and just play magic and then I just when people like had enough of this uh, like over a year or two years I just kept on like going because uh, I really want to just like become better all the time so and Thomas he eventually like I I really enjoyed this so let's just keep on trying to grind so he was one of the the dedicated few that when he could get off work he really wanted to just attend these GPs and talk a little about magic yeah uh, was there you you've been to a lot of tournaments over the years as you said you you've grinded and uh, you've traveled a lot you've had I'm sure great memories with friends and part of the group um, but if you were to like look back at maybe the past five six years uh, what would, would there be a particular moment that really stood out for you like maybe a favorite moment or or some some moment where you just felt absolute joy like you know this is this this is where I belong or this is this makes it all worth it I I went to the US for two months uh, one month with uh, Joel Larson, uh, and then Thomas Inevolson and Christopher Larson came there and stayed with us for one month as well. So we were literally just like uh, grinding around in the, in the U.S. So what uh, what year was this? Around what time? This was in 2013, I think, or 12. We just booked. I asked on Twitter, anyone wants to go to the U.S. for two months and just play Magic? And Joel Larson said, like, he just came off uh, a finals at the Pro Tour, and he said, yeah, I would love to. And then Thomas got off work and Christopher got off work and we met up like in different parts of the US. And just like uh, hanging out, we went to Roanoke uh, to play the Star City games. And just to hang out with uh, Brad Nelson and Todd Anderson and all these like super nice guys uh, and girls uh, in Roanoke. And we just got part of this huge community where they just played every day. They really want to invest a lot of time and magic was just part of their day to day life. Um, we woke up, we had a great time, we just like walked around, talked about Magic, uh, played with some of the best players. That was the first part, uh, time where I just thought, I really need to go to the Pro Tour, I really need to do this even more. Because um, just hanging around with some of my best friends, and my best friend actually, um, and just like having a great time in the community of Magic, this doesn't get any better. So, I mean, some of the Americans that were there, like you mentioned Todd and Brad, I mean, what were they like? Um, did they have the same kind of dreams, like I want to be on the Pro Tour, or did they have something else in mind? Like they were already on the Pro Tour, uh, but we met them on different occasions during the grind, and they asked us if we wanted to go down there and just hang out with them and do the pre-release weekend. So it came like a shock, because we wanted to go to, the, to New York uh, to hang around there uh, in one weekend, just like to get the feel of New York. So it, we just rearranged our plans and went down to their place. And we thought that was just, that was an ama amazing uh, like uh, invitation. And, uh, and it was just, I don't even know 
for us, it was just so huge to just uh, being welcomed to a whole new community of people who just like loved the game just as much as we did. And even though they didn't have the same dreams, because Todd was like playing, he was winning so much at the Star City Games. So was Jerry Thompson. So was like uh, BBD. And Brad Nelson was already like a really good player at the Pro Tour. So we just had the, the common goal of just like playing matching and have fun. Uh, and that was pretty much the 10 days we stayed there was pretty much what we did. We just had fun with new friends and just had an amazing time. It, it was some of the best moments in, uh, in my like life and, and magic career. Yeah. And what were your impressions of America? I mean, now that you're, you actually lived there for a couple months. I think everyone is just super friendly. Uh, some people say that it's like a hollow friendliness because everyone says like they, would, they just want to have like a good appearance. But I think in general, people are just like super friendly. And if you get welcomed into a community, whether it's two people or if it's 15 or 30 people, as long as you're just like you're smiling, being friendly, being happy and just like one wanting to talk to people and, and become friends with new people. Uh, I think there's almost uh, not a better place just attending like random tournaments and just like meeting up with new people. Everyone's friendly. So uh, you just need to be friendly to yourself and and eventually I think you will flourish in the, in the US as well. Yeah, that's great. And uh, to me, it seems like you were kind of an ambassador for your country or or or, or some, multiple countries, depending on where you guys were from. I mean, I, I don't know if the your American hosts or guests um, knew all that much that was going on in Europe. So I wonder if you also changed their perceptions of Denmark or some of the other countries as well. I would like to think that, at least in a positive way. <laughs> um, um, I think that we... I think people kind of like that we grind it because, like, Joel is a nice person, I'm a nice person, like cool that i'm saying that i'm a nice person but uh, you are like I, uh, <laughs> thank you i think we we tried our best to uh, to just like be open-minded and uh, just trying to show people who we were and wanting to understand who they were like not every magic player is uh, is similar some people are like uh, shy some people are extrovert like but it doesn't make them a worse person so just trying to understand these people that you grind and if you see them on a weekly basis eventually you'll get to talk to them and uh, just become friends with them. And that was what happened here. We were basically just how we would be at home and how we would interact with our Danish friends and Swedish friends and whatnot. Uh, and I think that being true to yourself and not being trying to be someone else uh, eventually will pay off. Because um, I'm good friends with them now and I love hanging out with them. I love seeing them when I go to the US and I love when they're in Europe and talking to them. So... I, I I hope that they they saw us as good ambassadors or just as, as as good human beings. Right. I think the second part is second part is more important. Yeah. Uh, just being a human being, good human being. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it was it, it was just such a great trip to the U.S. Uh, everyone was so supportive. Everyone was helpful, and it just gave a whole new meaning of of the whole grind. Like why we why I should do it and what the fun parts of it is. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah. yeah, and how the community in general just uh, interacts with uh, with both foreigners, but also like with friends. Like people are just there to help each other. What about your magic game? I mean, doing that intensely for in the in the U.S. for a while must have helped you, right? I mean, what was the competition like um, when you were in Roanoke or 
some of those New York areas or whatnot? Like, how did it feel compared to uh, maybe what you were experiencing back home? Like, you get a lot of more games under the belt that's not under uh, or in the Magic Online client. Uh, you get to interact with people. You get to, every time there's something you don't understand, you just get to ask. Like, Jerry Thompson was hanging around uh, Todd Anderson's place a lot. And he literally just wants to play Magic all the time. And the same goes for Thomas. Like, Thomas just wants to play all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, this wasn't, like, a thing that I had that much because sometimes I just also want to, like, talk about it and just, like, do something else, even though I love Magic. But eventually I picked up the whole just playing all the time. Uh, so uh, every time we have, like, a spare moment, we just sit down and we just uh, grind a game, even though it's Legacy against Modern or... If it's some bad matchup, just like play 20, 30 games uh, eventually because you just take all the opportunities to game just to try and understand magic even more. So that was like that people wanted to play all the time and uh, people were so good that you could spar with literally anyone and you could try to understand how they were playing it was just such a such a great opportunity for me because I, I, I was way worse than they were. Uh, at this time, um, I was I just came out of Strasbourg where I top four with uh, Death in Texas uh, with Thomas. So I had like this understanding of how to play Legacy because uh, I really leached on Thomas's uh, information and and knowledge about Legacy and the deck in general. Uh, so I had this coming in, and I really just wanted to try to understand the standard format and and just Magic in general. And it it was a great opportunity. So I mean, as you're as you've been playing and experiencing things over the past couple of years. Actually, let's first talk about the, the goals, right? I mean, are you, is that, without assuming anything, what, what are your goals for Magic in the next uh, year, one to three years? Like, I've been traveling a lot. I, I think I played 80 GPs since 2008 and now five Pro Tours. So I, I have come to the reasoning that playing Magic just to play Magic is not always uh, that great. You need to have. Uh, you need to be accompanied with uh, some friends to really ease out the whole traveling process. So my personal goal is to uh, obtain gold again and qualify for all the pro tours and do well at minimum one pro tour. Uh, but my secondary goal is to just like see if I can help my friends uh, qualify for the pro tour so we can travel together. And just make them do well at the Pro Tour. Really try to go out of the, uh, on a limb to help them become better and just like, uh, yeah, qualify for the Pro Tour. So if I can go back to your personal goal, Michael, um, what does it mean for you to do well at a Pro Tour? Like, first of all, I really want to, to attend to the, the Danish. I want to be a part of the Danish national team. Like, that's a dream come true if I, if I win my VMCQ. So that is my goal at the moment, just to try and, and see if I can get on the Danish national team with, during or within the next year. Uh, if not this season, then next season. But doing well at the Pro Tour is... Uh, now I'm qualified for all the Pro Tours, which was, like, that's the goal that I, last year, I wouldn't even have dreamed of. Now I tried to... I, I did well at the... At, Pro Tour Madrid, 17th, and I really felt like that was, wow, all this uh, time really paid off. My friends that are not playing Magic, they understood how how well I did at, at the Pro Tour, and my dad and, and the rest of my family really understood like that this is going somewhere because of this result. Uh, and I felt like this huge personal uh, victory 
just like playing against the best. There were just like all these good players, and I really tried to to stay focused and play my best, and eventually it, it just paid out. That was just it was an insane feeling. But what was uh what what did you have to do to get that? I mean, it it, it sounds like clearly that you had leveled up as a player. I mean, I I just really want to know, having not been in that position, um, what what did you how did you improve your game over the past couple of years? I, I tried to talk earlier about the whole grinding process. Yeah, uh, just playing lots of matches. Yeah, yeah, I can really feel that when a new format comes, I'm a proper drafter, but I don't win that much in the beginning. But eventually, when I like just play a lot of games and just like grind empirics, I became I become better and better and better, and I can really see my own improvement. People like do this when they when they. Uh, when they practice, they become better. It 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 makes sense. Um, but I really need the grind part. So prior to the to the Madrid, uh, I got in contact with Martin Jusa, and uh, eventually I I teamed up with them for three pro tours, or for two pro tours, and uh, they have this. They went to the shop, and then they just like played three drafts a day for seven days, and this was really an environment that I I thrived in, just like. Playing, talking about Magic 24-7 uh, prior to a Pro Tour, just getting 100% grind and 100% empirics. And then eventually just playing uh, a lot of Magic games with a lot of uh, Belgian, Netherlandians, uh, like the whole team. Just like playing from you wake up till you go to bed, uh, just really stepped up my game over the, co- uh, the, the course of the last uh, half a year. I see. So, I mean, it, you, you mentioned just spending a lot more time, just literally all day just grinding and thinking about practicing magic was there anything else other than just putting in more time because i could imagine someone maybe not as ta- as talented as you they could also play the same amount of time but they're not they're not um doing so well at the pro tour so was there something else that um of course it's hard to look at yourself that way but uh, do you think yeah. that there's something else there as well i think i got the opportunity to talk to players that were even better than I was, that understood like different formats in a better way, like people like Peter Suchik, Martin Juser, Lucas Blohan, which was on which is on Cabin Crew that I tested with. So I think uh, I put in a lot of time, but I I didn't I put in time playing against some of the best in the game and talking to some of the best in the game. And I really think that they helped me perceive magic even in a more different way than I did before, uh, like testing with them. So just like the grind was with even better people this time. So eventually, I I I don't know if I leveled up as a player, but I got a new perspective of magic. Even though I've said that I've I've gotten it like a lot of times. I, I think it's always you're always evolving when you talk to better people or better players. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so I, I I literally just think that. This time my empirics was just, they were, it was so good because uh, it was coming from some of the best in the game uh, that had a different view on Magic than I had. And do you think now, having been exposed to that and being successful on that level, you, you feel like you still have room to grow, like to level up, as it were, even further? Um, if, if, if the answer is yes, I'm wondering if you feel that there are specific things that you still need to do. I definitely think that there's a, an improvement uh, still. Um, when we play, um, like my best friend Thomas and my really good friend Christopher, we often Skype. Uh, and also with some local guys, a guy called Stefan and a guy called Sami. Uh, every time we play a limited match, 
if the others are on Skype, we Skype and we share screen. And then we just like talk everything through uh, as if we were streaming. So, and I can see that I still have a lot of uh, the way I perceive magic, the way I talk about magic. Uh, I have to be able to make people understand why I think the way I do. And I need to be better at like forming a game plan and all these different uh, aspects of the game. And I think that's when you talk to people, you, you kind of, when you put words on what you want to do and why you want to do it, you just become better eventually. Uh, it goes for for everything that you know uh, and all your knowledge. Uh, as soon as you can put a word into why you're doing it and uh, why people should do it and they understand it, I think that's the, that's the next level of uh, evolving. So then you can discuss uh, your mindset with people who are trying to understand it and eventually you will come to a conclusion that something new may be the right way. Uh, and I think that's that's kind of hard, but that's something that both me, Thomas and Christopher is working on because we are so different in a, in a way of, of playing a magic game that we want to understand each other to see if we can get all these three aspects because we're... All of us are winning, but we're winning in different ways. And that's kind of, uh, that's interesting. So trying to understand why the other person would think the way he does would give you a whole new way of uh, interacting with your opponent uh, and playing the game of magic. So you can kind of shift gears or like go on another level to try and beat your opponent in another person's mindset. Right. I mean, not to say that you actually end up playing exactly like they do, but just having awareness of different options or why there might be a different line of play, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a, there's a difference between control players and aggro players and mid-range players. And uh, I think it's this difference in playstyle is super fascinating. And it's, it's something that I really want to dig into. So how would you describe your game? I would describe my game as I'm pretty good at, at understanding game states and uh, dealing with a lot of knowledge on, on the board. So I... I tend to like these super long, uh, grindy, mid-rangey uh, matches, especially in sealed, like 18 lands on the draw and just like grinding out turn 19, turn 21. Uh, that's really where I think magic is the most fun. So I think that's my, that's when I played these kind of decks uh, and the decks were good, that's when I did the best, like Death and Taxes and Legacy does this thing. There's a lot of information all the time and you have to like manage your resources. I play a lot of Junt when I'm able to it. Um, I played GP Lil. It was my last tournament where I played Junt. And I really think these games are super fun. Like uh, knowing your opponent's hand, knowing what to play around, and just like having these insane matches. That, that's, that's magic in its essence for me. No, that's great. And uh, I've, also, also, I've often heard from people that stream that that is the reason why they do it is because they're forced to explain their thoughts and I, I guess explaining your thoughts will make you a better player because someone who is competent would have to buy into what you're saying yeah I think you can always like in you can always work with your intuition uh, and if you just like muscle memory and play magic uh, with your intuition it's kind of hard for other people to understand why you're doing what you're doing but if you have to put words on it yourself it's kind of hard for you to put words on why you're doing it as a teacher, the most important thing is to know what you're talking about. Because if you know 100% how, uh, how you do and why you do, it's easier for, you, for other people to understand it. And I think then spreading the word or like talking about these things makes you even more professional and makes you understand yourself and why you're doing it even more. And then you can 
reflect on it and eventually grow. And I don't think this goes only for magic. This goes for everything in life, basically. Just going back to like some of the goals you said, you know, like for to help other people get on the pro tour. That actually seems like a really, a really noble goal because I don't often think of people, or not a lot of people have told me that they have goals other than individual goals. So I mean, is that just part of who you are, or is that? I mean, I I'm trying to get a sense for how you formulate the these goals、uh, in your mind. Like I have some friends here in my local town that are really good players, but they kind of they feel intimidated about the whole traveling to GPs and、um, and attending these major tournaments because if you don't have any bias, it's kind of hard to to play a tournament that has nine rounds on day one with no bias and statistically you will do bad. But I really try to not push them, but I try to Skype with them. We we talk a lot about magic. We try to hang out like in our spare time、um, when we when we're not attending school or work, and just like play magic, talk magic, and just try to make them become even better. Eventually, I hope they will attend the GPs with me. I'm trying to like really push forward that we're going to the to the GP Rotterdam, the team GP, and I even fix the team for two of my friends so they can play together because they're. So good magic players, but they're they're not attending GPs yet.、Uh, and I really think that if they would attend GPs, they'll get more competitive, and then eventually they'll they will just do well on the on the magic scene. So I'm really trying to like to inspire and and just like、uh, sweet talk them into trying out playing competitive magic because I want to travel with them and I want to yeah to just hang around with them because they're fantastic people. That's great, and I can kind of make a bit of a a link to maybe your your military past and this kind of thing. Because when we talk about magic teams these days, it's not often like you're not really a team. I mean, you're kind of like playing together, but I mean, like at the end of the day, the matches are still individuals. So being wanting to、uh, lead people there and help them grow, that really does feel like a team. So that's it's great to hear that. Yeah, I think.、Um... I think Martin Dang,、uh, Thomas Inovolson, and and、uh, Christopher Larsen took me under their wings when I just started playing Magic because they like me as a person. And I think that if I can do this to my friends that are not like into competitive Magic right off now, I would really like to do this because、uh, I know what Magic did for me, and I really really love the way that I improved my game, that I improved as a person,、uh, that I interact with people on on the Magic in the Magic community. Uh, and I really want to pe- to make people feel comfortable in the in the competitive environment and and make them become better because、uh, this was done to me and I love it and I would like to share some of that knowledge or wisdom or whatever or just basically giving them、uh, a way to do it like helping them with the shell and then they then can see if they can flourish in the same environment. Right. This is all great stuff and you've talked about a lot. A lot about the positives and the team, the community, traveling the world, seeing people. Like, if there was a Wizards of the Coast、uh, brochure for why you should play Magic, I think your your face should be on it. I mean, I, I'm just kind of <laughs> kind of joking, but I mean, it sounds like you really had a a positive time. But if you could look back, have there been? Have you ever thought about whether Magic has been detrimental to your life in some way? Like, if it changed my my the way of living, or if it did something bad, or. You can interpret the question in many ways. I mean, you can interpret it as like, do you have any regrets?、Uh, is there are there any negatives from playing Magic?、Um, is there an opportunity cost that you lost the ability to do something else while you were playing? I mean, these are all things that I think, being very、um, self-analytical,、uh, 
uh, I'm gonna assume that you've thought about at some point in time. Yeah, I think the hardest part about it is the commitment of time. I, I kind of talked about it just a little bit earlier. Um, if you, in my seat, like if I have to become better at magic, I need to dedicate even more time than I used to. Uh, and as part of me doing that, there's things that you simply can't do. Like there are some of my friends that don't play magic that I really want to hang out with, but sometimes it's just not possible because either I'm traveling uh, and when I get home, I really want to be uh, hang around with my girlfriend because I miss her. Uh, and then I have to go to some family uh, excursion. Like um, I don't have to, but I want to because I want to see my family. And then eventually some people would be left out. Um, and I think that's the sad part of it. Like there's not enough time for everything. So if, if my friends don't play magic, it's kind of hard to to dedicate that much time to seeing them uh, because then they don't have time or I don't have time. And then eventually you'll just, yeah, you'll really have to 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 try and, and like talk to them on a daily basis and just like have a good, uh, be good friends even though you don't see each other. And sometimes that can be kind of hard. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, but like you said, there's only 24 hours in the day, right? Yeah, and then you get new friends and uh, and you meet a lot of new people and then if you can see one of your good friends uh, you like half a year and if that's good enough for both of you because you love each other's company then you should go for it. Uh, just get trying to get the best out of the of the minimum sour part of uh, grinding magic basically. So have you had some good friends that you've lost contact over the years because of your your commitment to magic? Uh, yeah, but not really like lost contact, but just not talking that much to them or being able to see them that much. Uh, I have a really good friend called Kim. He plays uh, casual magic, but he's not that dedicated and he has a job and uh, and a girlfriend as well. So he, he has a lot of time commitments as well. Uh, but then we every half a year, uh, we try to do something crazy with each other, like go to a festival or, or something else, and just trying to get the best out of the, the minimum time that we see each other. And this is something that I'm really looking forward to, uh, yeah, every time it happens. Um, and I have some of my uh, friends from, from high school that I'm actually tomorrow, I'm going out to play board games with them in my hometown, uh, just to, I have the time off, they have the time off, so we really, really need to, like focus on trying to to get together when we have the the time for it. Mm -hmm. And what about Magic the game itself? I mean, is it going to be a lifelong thing for you? I mean, as you become a more dedicated in the teaching profession, um, how do you see that playing out? Um, like my goal is to try to incorporate Magic or chess or just gaming in general uh, to my teaching process because I think it, it has so many good... Uh, I don't even know aspects that that you can easily put it into, like the teaching environment. Uh, but I would like to just become better magic player and and try to balance like working and and playing magic. And then eventually it will maybe be more uh, a GP every second month, and then maybe a pro tour in, uh, once a year. Um, I don't know that. And some at some time I'll I'll get a child as well, and I'll dedicate my time one hundred percent for the child. But I think magic will always be part of of who I am from this from this point on. Or right, I, I don't see myself putting it on the shelf, uh, but I see myself putting in 
uh, not putting as much time into it as I do now uh, when I have other obligations. Sure, different degrees yeah. of involvement, but not ever completely gone, right? Yeah, exactly. Because I think it gives me so much uh, personally that uh, it would be too hard to just put it on the shelf. Uh, it it would not make sense for me as a person to put it on the shelf. Not not I I can't see a situation where I would do at least. No, that's a, that's a good one. I know it's a tough question to answer, too, because none of us really know what the future will hold, right? I mean, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but I kind of put everything else on the shelf, like handball shooting, uh, like all these things, because they didn't, the time invested in it, it didn't give me as much pleasure as Magic did. So eventually Magic overruled all these uh, things that I intended to. Uh, and it's kind of... It's not easy, but it's um, it's it's easier to balance uh, your day-to-day -day life with magic, uh, I guess. So, uh, it giving a lot, uh, person giving a lot to me personally, and also uh, making it kind of easy to balance with uh, everything else in life. I, I think magic is is the place where I want to be and where I want to get my energy from, uh, as of now, at least. Any thoughts or any shout-outs, like anything at all that you feel like you want to mention that maybe we didn't get a chance to talk about? I think I have some fantastic friends within the Magic community. Like Thomas and Christopher are some of the people that I love the most. And I think them helping me is some of the best things that happened to me in, in Magic in general. The same goes for Lasse and Martian Dang when, when I moved to Aarhus. Uh, so I guess that I would like to tell people that they should just take people under their wings and just start playing magic because it's just a, a way of just becoming better at being a human being, I think. Because magic is a forum for people who are insecure and nervous and, and all these different things. So trying to, to take different parts of different people and try to become a better person yourself is, is just something that you can easily do in the magic community because no one is judging you. Uh, and I would like to say thanks to like Frank Karsten and Martin Jusa and Lucas Blohan and Peter Trucek, all these good players that took me into the teams and uh, also like Brad and Todd just to be the most open community in like in Magic, I guess. Like they just took us in and helped us stay in, in the US for 10 days without even asking for rent or anything. Like the Magic community in general just is just so wonderful and I, I just love being part of it to be honest so i would like to just say thanks to the entire magic community there you have it folks uh michael bonda magic ambassador excellent teammate all-around good guy uh encourages you to play magic and get involved and i would like to say thank to you james i think the podcast is uh it's a very nice uh, new way of uh, looking at magic in general i like that a, a lot you're welcome, and uh, I hope we can uh, continue to spread the uh, the gospel of magic. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so do I. <laughs> All right, Michael, uh, so take care and uh, be well. Yeah, likewise. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Humans of Magic. I would love to get feedback from you on how to make the show better. You can find me on Twitter at James underscore Sue. That's James underscore H-S-U. Please also check out my website at writtenbyjames.com and drop me a line. Thanks for listening and have an awesome day.